Let me pray and then we'll get into our last message in this series called Night Hike. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for the privilege that we have together. We come together to praise your name and to learn and to grow and most of all find hope and healing in the midst of a wounded world. We ask, Lord God, that you'll put your spirit inside each of us and allow us to feel the promptings and the stirrings that we'll talk about next week to follow your lead. We thank you that even when we walk in the dark, there is a light ahead that is bidding us to take the next step forward. We pray that we'll understand how visions that are given by others and through you can help us to continue to travel that trail. We ask, Lord God, for your blessing as we open your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So um, we've been using a metaphor on uh, the past three weeks, and a night hike, I don't know how many of you have ever gone on a night hike, but it can be terrifying because it's dark, right? And as you take the next step forward on a trail, uh, you need a guide almost in front of you to tell you, watch out for your step here, there's a rock here, there's a root here, those type of things. But it's quite exhilarating because it crowds out all the other things and you're able to hear things that maybe you've never heard before. And, um, and so we're using this as a metaphor and we've been using four individuals to help us as night guides through those dark times in our life when we don't know when to take the next step forward. And we talked a little bit about Job, Jeremiah, Jesus, and today we're gonna to talk about John. Each of these have a character quality that helps them in their journey. Job, he is the reprimanded by his friends because he will not confess that all the trouble that he's going through is his fault. He has tremendous resiliency to be able to continue on in spite of the backlash from his group of friends. Secondly, Jeremiah preached and preached and preached to the nation to come back to God. They ignored, they ignored, they ignored, and he was rejected many times. And he was placed in prison, he was put in stocks, he was thrown down into an empty well, but he continued to have the courage to call out to people to do what is right. Thirdly, we talked about Jesus, an individual that constantly held out invitations to other people to come. Come and follow me, he says. But there were many that refused, and yet he did not get angry. He did not get bitter. Even upon the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He was full of grace. So today, we're talking about John. And John, I'm calling the revelated. Now, that, I don't know if that's a word or it's not a word. But it's kind of apropos, a revelation is an unveiling of some new information that we did not know before. And so he has this vision in chapter 1, and what we find is there is truth that is given through this opportunity that God gave to him, and it is very instrumental in giving hope to those who are Christians in the first century as they labor under the oppression of the Roman Empire. So the way I'd like to begin today is by asking you a question. How many of you like sci-fi genre? Okay, we have a number here. Um, so sci-fi genre is the equivalent, really, of apocalyptic-type literature that you'll find in the Bible. Apocalyptic-type literature means an unveiling of something, something that was not previously known that has become known. 
but it uses a very strange way of communicating. It uses a lot of symbols, it uses a lot of metaphors, and what we find is that people don't know what to do with this type of literature. We're familiar with sci-fi, but do we take things that are in a sci-fi book or in a sci-fi movie, and do we take it literally? And I'll give you an example of that in just a moment. Usually not, but it's a great story, isn't it? Because usually it involves the destiny of the world. It involves possibly the end of the world and the heroes that rise up to come to the aid of the world. But here's what happens. In the few books of the Bible that uses this apocalyptic type genre of literature, Christians for many years have tried to take this literally. So you heard the scripture that was read out of Revelation chapter 1, and so people, kind of, oh, Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth and all this and that. It's figurative, okay? It's figurative. But a lot of times what people do is they take things in the Bible, especially strange pictures, far too literally. And that's where you come up with these crazy, off-the-wall theories a lot of times that you'll hear on television or in books and stuff like that, using the wrong interpretive method for the type of literature that it is. Well, one of the things that is a night hike for all of us is the future. Many times people are afraid of the future. Many times they don't know what's up ahead in the future. And so they walk along very gingerly, don't they? Because they don't want to take a misstep. They don't want to have permanent consequences if they rush into something too quickly. But I will tell you that stepping into tomorrow is always a risk, isn't it? Because we never have the full picture on anything. So when we step into tomorrow, we need to take it a step at a time. And as we do so, we take it a day at a time. Do you remember when Jesus said this? He said, do not worry about tomorrow since today has enough trouble of its own. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, today has enough trouble of its own. In other words, why live in tomorrow's shadows when today's light is hard enough, right? So we take it a day at a time. That doesn't mean we don't plan for tomorrow. It just simply means that we can't fully see what tomorrow holds. So we take a step of faith. Now, for those of us that hear the Word of God, we think sometimes that it's giving us a prediction of the future. Now, sometimes it might allude to the future, and sometimes it will use the present context to anticipate something that's coming. But if you can erase from your mind that the Bible is just one big prediction of what's coming in the years ahead, you've misunderstood what the Bible's all about. Okay, so the Bible is a record of stories of people just like you and me or taking a step at a time, trying to step into tomorrow. Now, there is a vision that is given to a man named John. The question is, is this the same John that wrote the Gospel of John? We'll leave that debate to the theologians, okay? Best way to maybe title the author of this book of Revelation is John the Revelator the one who helps unveil to the people that he's writing to uh, what possibly is going to happen into tomorrow. And so what happens in the book of Revelation is a very specific 
piece of information to give hope to seven churches that are in Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey, okay? And these seven churches are laboring under uh, the travail of the Roman Empire. So if you like history and you know a little bit about the Roman Empire, you'll know that they were an oppressive regime, okay? People were overtaxed, and if you rebelled against them, you would be crucified, just like Jesus, because that's what you did to terrorists in that day that upset the peace of Rome. But one of the things that the book of Revelation does is it opens a portal for us to see something maybe that we haven't seen before. So I mentioned sci-fi. How many of you are fans of, on Netflix of Stranger Things? Okay, Stranger Things. Now, I'm just about finished with season four, all right? And it is really bizarre, all right? Uh, I watch it. My wife, Esty, doesn't like it because it's, ugh, you know, too scary. But in this season, there's this portal. So those of you who raised your hand, right? It's kind of, it's really strange. So there's this portal. They climb up, but they fall down on the other side. Well, this portal takes them into another world. It's a world that is not seen, but it's a world that has different events and people and personas that are affecting that which is on Earth. So you'd have to watch it to, to understand that. But nonetheless, it's a portal into something that is unseen that affects the seen. Does that make sense? Okay. The book of Revelation, in some ways, is helping us to see what we cannot see. And what we find is there are pictures that are given in symbolic form of significant influences that are affecting the early Christians. And what we find is God provides this to John the Revelator uh, as kind of a vision. Now, that's a debate in and of itself. Was it a dream? Was it a vision? Was it a stirring in his soul? We're not real sure. But it's not a new phenomenon. So in the Old Testament, you have Isaiah, who's caught up in chapter 6 of Isaiah, and he sees the cherubim. And then Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, is called up into the third heaven, and he says, I cannot describe what I've seen there. Well, in Revelation chapter 1, there's this vision of one that is like the Son of Man. And this vision is so overpowering, what we find is that it leaves a lasting imprint that he will never shake. So I'm going to show you a series of pictures here. These pictures are the type of revelation or unveiling of something that lingers sometimes for many years. Okay? Who is this? John F. Kennedy. What, what event is happening here? This is when he's assassinated, right? So he's in this open convertible in Dallas, Texas. So this is a lingering image of John F. Kennedy with his wife, Jacqueline uh, Onassis Kennedy. And what we find is when we see this picture, what do we associate with it? His assassination. We don't, we'll never forget that. We see this car, we associate it with that, right? Let me give you another example. You see this picture, what is it of? You got it. 
It's uh, the challenger, right? Even though you don't see it in the picture, you see this picture and you automatically associate it with the blowing up of the challenger. I still remember exactly where I was when that blew up. I was in the library of Dallas Seminary looking for a book uh, for one of my projects and someone had said, oh, this just happened, you know, and everybody's curious about it and you run to a TV screen to watch the newsreel. So you got it. Okay, here's another one. Okay, we'll never forget this image, right? This image of the World Trade Center, one has already been hit, this one's about to be hit. You'll never forget where you were on 9-11, right? I was at church, I was in my office, and somehow word came out, and again, you rushed to the TV to catch the news. One more, okay? Okay, you will never forget this image either. The Capitol building being run over on January 6th. Now that's not a political statement. My point is, you'll never forget this image. It will stick with you forever. That's what John experiences in Revelation chapter 1. This is the image he saw. Now that's strange, isn't it? Here's Jesus, and he's holding stars in his hand, and he's walking among lampstands, candlesticks, and there's this sword that's coming out of his mouth, and you go, oh my gosh, did I eat something wrong last night, right? Uh, why? What is going on here? This literally bowls him over. He is so filled with fear that he bows down. And as he bows down, he is shaking because he doesn't know what he's experiencing. We call this uh, an unveiling or uh, something that he experience that he will never ever forget. Well, what is the meaning of it? Well, first of all, you're not to take this literally. Jesus doesn't have a sword coming out of his mouth. You're to take this seriously. You're to take this symbolically, but it's a picture of Jesus among seven churches. So listen, it says here, I'm going to reread a couple of verses here. He's talking to these seven churches in Turkey. It says, I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos. So he's, he's a political uh, exile. He's been uh, uh, exiled to this place and he tells us why he has been politically exiled. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, he was a dedicated follower of Jesus. Rome didn't want to hear about that. Actually, Rome killed a lot of the apostles, martyred them. They did not this individual. But what they did do is they put him on an island. And it tells us that on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, and then it names them, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sidus, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Incidentally, God has a specific message for each one of those seven churches that's in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, but that's not today. 
Then it goes on. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His hair were, and head uh, were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet would be like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the shining sun in all its brilliance. So these all mean something. The seven lampstands represent these seven churches. The seven stars, I think, are the seven pastors that are leading these seven churches. And they need wisdom because they're walking on a night hike. They're in the dark of how to get through Roman persecution, right? So they're going to have to hold on to the truth that they hold on to. And it's done in a symbolic way. We still do this today. If I was to show you a cartoon up here with a donkey and an elephant with boxing gloves on, you would know exactly what that's representing, right? Two political parties that are fighting against each other. The main message that is in this book begins here with this very important truth. And the truth is Rome thinks it's in power. Rome acts like it has all the power, but it really isn't. It really doesn't have all the power. There is a God and there is Christ behind all of this. Hold on to it as you go through your night hike, as you walk in the dark, remember God has not let go of you. And how do I know that? Because here's what it says, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. You know what he's saying? I never let go of you. You might not be able to see me. You might not be able to feel me. You might not know where I'm at. You might not know where I'm leading, but I'm still your night guide, and I have my hand upon you. Do you feel him? Do you understand that he has his hand on your shoulder? Do you understand that he will never let you go? Do you understand he loves you more than anything? And do you understand that the things that are happening around us, it creates fear in us? Turn on the TV, watch CNN, watch Fox News, watch whatever, and you go, oh my gosh, our world is falling apart. Uh, that's our perspective, but in the unseen, there is a God that is still on the throne, and there is a God who still has his hand on his people. There is a God that still loves us. There is a God that will never leave us nor forsake us. You know, Caesar thought he was the savior of mankind. He wasn't. Rome lasted a good long time, but it was no more. God raises up nations and takes them down. God is the one that helps us to understand that all of these nations that shake their fist in the, hand, in the face of God because they, the bottom line is always the greatest prophet or the bottom line is we want to feel superior to other people. 
And God says, no, 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 no. You must understand, I don't care whether you are male or female, black or white, gay or straight. I don't care if you're rich or poor. I don't care where you live. I don't care what job you do. I want you to know you are loved and I will never, ever, ever take my hand off your shoulder. I will walk with you. And there will be times it'll be frightening. And there will be times when you want to fall to your knees like John did and say, why? Why? It's in that moment. It is in that very moment we need that stranger things portal, I guess. If we could see on the other side of that portal that God is still on the throne and no Caesars and no nations are able to thwart this God who sent to us his loving presence in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a better way to live than to live by the fears that are constantly pushed down our throat by those that are in power and those that are using the media to constantly keep us agitated as people. My peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, Jesus says. So when you're going through this night hike, brothers and sisters, it's better to take a bigger picture it's better to see a bigger vision that God is still going to be with you. Does that mean all of life is going to be an easy hike down the trail? No. It will be difficult, and there's times you're going to have to climb uphill, just like Corey's going to have to ride uphill at that Pelotona bike ride, right? There's going to be times that it's tough, and you think you're exhausted, and you think, oh, my, how can I take another step? And then all of a sudden, God gives you a second wind, and you take another step forward and maybe it levels out a little bit or maybe it actually goes downhill a little bit and you begin to pick up some momentum and you begin to say, oh, God, why did I doubt you in this? Why did I doubt you in this? You were with me the entire time. So do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Even in the midst of terrifying times. Do not be afraid. God is in control even when we can't see him with our eyes and we are thankful that he sits on the throne of history and he puts his right hand on our shoulder and he says do not be afraid I can't figure that out I can't figure where I am in the scheme of things I can't figure out how far down the trail I am I can't figure out when the Sun is gonna come up over the horizon I don't know but all I do know is I'm taking it a step at a time and I know that God is with me from the first step to the last, even if I'm stuck somewhere in the middle, right? So be brave, be resilient, be strong. Hold to this truth. Whether you feel it or not, God has his hand on your shoulder. He does. And he loves you beyond what you can comprehend. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And we have one last song that we're going to do before we have lunch. And um, I just hope that today you'll hear that soul stirring inside of you that we'll start talking about next week, that God is with you. He's with you. And some of us might face some things that break us down and tear us apart. But here's what I know. I thank God that he never, ever leaves us. He never leaves us. He walks with us even through the most difficult times. Stand with me. You're going to like this song. <laughs>